Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. We're here to discuss an incredibly depressing West Ham draw today. But before we do that, uh, don't forget to leave us five stars on iTunes. We desperately need your validation. And also follow us on our new Twitter account, WDR. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. WDR Podcast on Twitter.com. With that business out of the way, it is time to get to our uh, distinguished co-hosts. Uh, first up, we have Brian Ashlock. Brian, I'm going to guess you were neither geeked nor zooted about this particular match. Neither, yeah. Um, and I was 100% convinced that we lost this game until we started talking about it before. So I'm um, happy to remember that we got a point out of it. Uh, I totally felt like a really well-deserved hard one point, so... Um, just really, honestly, very excited to have rescued that draw from the jaws of victory. So exciting. Uh, ben, how, where does this rank on your uh, most frustrating Spurs games you've ever watched? If West Ham had scored a fourth goal, I would have murdered Paul Staltieri. I would have found him wherever he lives, and I would have killed him. Somewhere in Canada, surely. I mean... If, if anyone has allowed him to live anywhere else, that would have been a problem. He is, he is Canada's favorite son for that one goal. But had, had we blown it, that would have been the end of Paul Stalter. Do, do you think this is all karma because we couldn't remember like five last-minute goals against West Ham last week that all of our listeners pointed out to us, mostly the Dyer goal? Because, boy, I'd forgotten about some of those. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I'm never going to remember them again because all I'm going to remember is Lanzini whacking the shit out of a ball 25 yards out in the 90-whatever-th minute to to ruin a wonderful day. Well, I don't know. I'm going to remember Davinson Sanchez laying on the ground inside the six-yard box. Like, what have I done? That that's the That's the indelible image for me of the match. But, you know, the Lanzini hit is, you know, at least... At least that's a good goal, I guess. So let's let's talk about this truly awful match. And uh, I think the last ten minutes kind of masks what I thought was a fairly strong, maybe last fifteen minutes masks what I thought was a fairly strong performance by Tottenham that really continued the trend of what we've been seeing in recent weeks. I, I've, I've heard some Spurs fans talk about, oh, we scored on our first three chances. You know, it flattered us a little bit. I, I don't agree with that at all. I thought this team looked fucking great until we made our subs in the mid-70s, until we got Ndombele off. I mean, did West Ham maybe deserve to be, you know, have nothing out of it? I don't know about that, but I thought we were by far the dominant team. I thought we were well on top. I thought, honestly, West Ham is lucky we only scored three goals at that point. Um, and that's before Bale's, you know, attempt. I thought we looked like a better team for large portions of this match. Uh, West Ham sort of came into it for the first 10 minutes of the halftime, and then we started battering them again. I thought we looked really good for large portions of this match, and, you know, 
even the last 15 minutes or so, I think there's a lot that went into what went wrong there. But, you know, I think you can't discount supremely awful luck um, as opposed to something sort of systemically wrong with the team. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to disagree with you there, Greg. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's, it's it's a really hard game to evaluate, right? Like the the Jose Spurs that we'd seen in, you know, the Project Restart was a team that like got a, a maybe a dozen chances a match, but they were really high quality and like we scored a few and we called it a day. And since this season started, we have seen a very different Tottenham Hotspur under Jose. We have seen a team that's taking closer to 20 shots a match. We've seen a team that is really like, you know, in the last couple of games against Southampton and and Man U in particular, um, we saw a team that was and really like just flowing form where we were just putting chances together and not conceding a ton of chances. This game on balance was not that. But that said, you know, we scored our first first three shots on goal in the first 15 minutes. So it's reasonable to expect a team like in that situation to not keep it flowing forward and not just keep peppering the goal. Like we're up three nil. You could reasonably expect a team to take their foot off the gas and it not go completely pear shaped. Um, you know, I think the first half we shell shocked West Ham pretty comfortably with that first 15 minute blitz. But after the second half, I think West Ham was pretty well on top of us. Um, you know, they were getting chances. They were getting good looks. We we started, like you said, we had a moment where we started having some really good chances on the counter. Kane hit the post. Bale missed that chance that the old Bale never would have missed. And I don't know who this new Bale is. Um, no, I mean, he got rugby tackled in the box. That's fucking bullshit. Um but we didn't close out the second half of this game. I mean, and clearly, now, we did not close out the second half of this game. I mean, you know, like, irrespective, like, if you look at the goals West Ham scored, it was, like, two stupid free kicks. You know, Suzuko missed his marker on the first one. The second one, Davis and Sanchez had an incredible striker's header own goal. And then... The third goal was, like, yes, we failed to clear our lines, but they, like, battered one in from, like, 25 yards out. Like, the goals they scored, I don't think were indicative of any particular failure of Spurs as as a team. Um, I don't think, like, any one of those goals reflects poorly on the team. You, you wouldn't look at that and say, like, oh, yeah, here's the breakdown. Here's where everybody sucks. Like, we, we did bad. But well, I mean, I, th- I, think I think the, the circumstances that allowed those kinds of chances to develop, that is where we. Kind I of think went there's off. a lot that goes into that fifteen. Let's say fifteen minute period, and I think like the frustrating thing is like West Ham needed like five things to go right for them to have a chance of tying that game. All five thing, five of those things happened. I think if we're being clear eyed, if we were on the Spurs coaching staff. You know, the things in that time period that I think are worth some examination are how are we defending set pieces has been a problem all year. I think why are we conceding so many free kicks? And I think there's a little bit of lack of luck there going on. Like, I think West Ham got some soft free kick calls, which has been a problem Spurs have been having all year. Other teams are getting really soft calls against us. 
So, but if that's going to keep happening, we need to do something to address it. Those are the things that I think, if we're like, what lessons do we want to learn out of that time from like sort of a how are we arranging things perspective, I think that's what you take. Because I think, Ben, you and I talked about this a little after the match, like the personnel there wasn't ideal for closing out a game. Like putting on Harry Winks, putting on Lucas Mora in particular. Bale, I'm not going to put too much blame on him, but he's obviously not adding a lot of defensive solidity. You know, with what we had on our bench, with who was fit, you know, we can argue if those were the right subs, but the fact of the matter is, what, whatever you think of those players, they should have been a good enough to protect a 3-0 lead for 15 minutes. They should have had it within them. For all the things I don't like about Harry Winks, who, as was point, I think Windy pointed out on the Extra Inch this week, was when we first started using him in league games under Pochettino, he was brought in to sort of, like, close out wins. So, like, I mean, these players should have been able to handle that pressure. for Even if, even if maybe it's not the ideal collection of players for to put on to hold a lead. They still should have been able to hold a 3-0 lead. Well, but see, the, here's the thing in, that that I have a problem with is because we're talking about closing out a game, holding on to a 3-0 lead. And, and I think Ben really touched on this earlier is what actually happened was we just took our foot off the gas. And, and you know, like, it, I understand that there was, after the first 16 minutes, there was some time where West Ham kind of came back into the game and, and they had some threatening opportunities. But Spurs still had chances. And then the second half starts, and things really flipped at that point. And, and they didn't get any better when the substitutions happened. And so I, it, for me, like us not continuing to take the attacking impetus from that we had in those first 16, 17 minutes and, and translating that across the rest of the match was the main problem. And I don't know if that's a Jose thing. I don't know if that was just like the player's mentality thing. I don't know. I mean, look, 3-0 up in a derby in the, what, the 81st, the 84th minute, whenever they score that first goal, you still probably should be able to hold on. But you're 3-0 up in the first, in the 16th minute. I don't know. Maybe we should have had more than, you know, 12 shots maybe we should have gotten some better chances maybe we should have been holding on to the ball a little better you know retaining possession knocking it around a little more preventing West Ham from having dangerous I, I kind of think we like you look at that second half and maybe maybe my memory is betraying me I feel like you look at that second half West Ham was really on top for the first 10 minutes and then things really settled down and I think Spurs were if not the better team they weren't that far off of it and I think it's when you take Ndombele off that it all really starts to fall apart. And we weren't able to control the game the way we had been controlling it to some extent. And we weren't able to assert ourselves like we were. And, you know, it still took West Ham getting ridiculously lucky to win, to draw <laughs> to draw that game. It was just enormously frustrating to watch. And I know some of this is like, you know, we talked about how deep the team was last week on this podcast, but we still have this issue of, like, you know, LaCelso's out. Uh, Lamella's out, you know, th- these players are out who might have been able to sort of hold that lead a little bit better. And, but, you know, Lucas still, we talk, we've talked about how we've used Lucas as sort of this all-action defensive winger. You know, like, Winks should be comfortable enough in possession to settle this game down. It's just, it's this, like, I don't know, I feel like everybody's the sort of blame, and there is, I think, a sense of taking our foot off the gas, and I think if you look at Mourinho, it's been a lot of sort of tail of one half, or tail two halves, where we're excellent for one half and at a minimum just not as sharp in the other. And I don't know if that's just like we're trying to preserve ourselves for a busy fixture list or if it's just naturally what happens when you're, 
you know, beat the tar out of someone three nil and they're not, you know, battering you to death. So it's just sort of easy to get complacent, but we can't get this complacent. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if you look at this team and you look at where our strengths lie, it is very much in our attack, right? Like we are much better going forward than we are defending. We have had problems with set pieces. We've had problems in midfield. We've had problems kind of all over the pitch um, when it comes to to defending counterattacks, to defending good chances created by the other team. Where we excel has been, I mean, really, it's Kane and Son plus whatever's happening in midfield and our fullbacks to make get the ball forward as quickly as possible. And after we scored three goals, we really stopped doing that. Um, you know, and Dombele and our fullbacks stopped pushing up as much, stopped throwing the ball forward as quickly, and we, we kind of retreated into ourselves, and we trusted our defense to hold things tighter around the box, and then we'd launch counterattacks from much deeper areas than we did in the, in the early part of the game. And, you know, if you look at that back line, like, we, we know Davis and Sanchez is a suspect. We know Suzuko is a suspect. We know Winks is a suspect. And the more we invite pressure closer to our own box, just the less capable we are of, of playing the game we, we want to play. You know, the team has been best when we have a guy like Ndombele or Lo Celso in midfield, moving the ball quickly from defense to attack. And when we don't have one of those guys on the pitch, we have very much struggled. You know, we don't have a good plan for getting that outlet ball to transition from defense to attack. And so we invite a lot of pressure, and so we allow the other team to come on to us in areas where we're asking our worst players to play a lot of football. Instead of kicking the ball forward as quickly as possible to our best players to keep the pressure on high up the pitch where we can press high or we can play around their box and we can create opportunities for ourselves. And so, we spent in 75 minutes of the match not doing the thing we're best at. And yes, like we're up 3-0. It shouldn't matter. Like you shouldn't collapse a 3-0 lead. Like the goals that we conceded were not indicative of any real failure of game plan. Like, in theory, we should have been able to hold on to a lead with with 75 minutes to go with those players playing that way. But when you ask the worst players of your team to control the game for 75 minutes, you're kind of inviting the possibilities that these fluke crazy shit is going to happen. And that's kind of like where I have a problem with what Jose did and where the substitutes came. But I think there's a, this whole I think there's a, a real difference between what was going on before the set. <clears throat> excuse me, what was going on before the 75th minute and what happened after the 75th minute? Like, there's a difference between not as effective and what we saw after that. And I understand you're inviting pressure. You're Allowing them to I mean, sort of, for lack the of a better term, the second half, West Ham was on. They it. weren't. They weren't like the last fifteen minutes. It wasn't working like that. It got way I mean, worse when we pulled in Dombele off the pitch. It definitely did. But I mean, besides the Kane chance that like hit the post and the Bale chance that went wide because again he got brutalized in the box, should have been a penalty. 
whatever. Besides those two chances, can you think of another attacking opportunity that we had? Attacking opportunity, I can think of a couple, but you know, like clear cut. Sh- my, my point is, we were we were moving, we were doing some of the things that I think we would say we were allowing West Ham to do. Like we've talked about this on the show before. We we are more forgiving of other teams, sort of what they're attempting, than we are of our own. And if you're talking about were we putting guys in dangerous positions around their box, like yeah, I think Regulon was moving was moving up the pitch into dangerous areas. You know, we were getting the ball around West Ham's attacking third. Maybe not as frequently as we were in the first half, but, you know, we were doing some of that. It's like, it's just when you pull Ndombele off and it all falls apart. And I understand that this is not just those players. It was a little bit of bad luck that, you know, sort of led to, th- you know, if Sanchez doesn't put the ball in our own net, we probably, you know, win this game easily. I think, you know, West Ham probably doesn't create a bunch of chances after that. Um, it's so, just, look, yeah, one of the things ahead, that I, well, just one of the things that I want us to avoid is like, you know, I, I, I've talked about this on the show before. Is we we swing hot and cold based on what the particular result is in a given day because you know that's our fucking job as podcasters. Um, but like this this match was still like a lot of fun for a lot of it, and we had a lot of good performances. So I don't want that to go by. No, the race no, we like, shouldn't. And like again, Harry Kane, again, Hungman's son, both very good. And Dombele, again, probably the best midfielder on the pitch. Regione or Regione continues to be a, a, a so much fun at fullback. The cross that he has for Harry Kane's third goal is like an absolute perfect cross. Um, you know, and 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 Hoiberg continued to do his job well. I mean, I I think look, I, I know that the result ultimately is disappointing, and that ultimately, like you know, this feels like another in a string of you know the the Everton match, the West or the the Newcastle match, it feels like these are games where we lost opportunities. And and I'm not trying to discount that. But at the same time, this team still looks good and is a lot of fun. Like, like some of the opportunities and the goals that we are scoring, like, like this... I mean, like, this is the kind of fun that we were having under, like, you know, early Pochettino. Like, you know, like... And, and this is the kind of stuff that we thought, like, oh... Jose is going to beat this out of these players. Like he's going to tamp down the fun and the excitement that we get from Sun, that we get from Kane. And it's not really happening like that. You know, we, we talked about, you know, we've outshot uh, opponents in, a, in the last few games, not necessarily in this West Ham game, but, you know, in some of our previous matches, we're, we're still a, a, a good and interesting, exciting team. And I think, you know, when we get to the point where we have, you know, healthy Lo Celso, a fit Bale, like, this is this is going to be a whole lot of fun. Well, and I have to, have to, have to believe that this is just a blip on the radar. Like, yeah, it's, the fact that we got a point out of this and, like, it's at, it's at you know, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, like, obviously that's, that's disappointing coming from 3-0 up to go eh, finish 3-3, but... And, and I know we'll talk about this later on the podcast. Like a lot of the other big teams aren't exactly going into the league guns blazing. Like we're not so far off the pace right now. Like I I, I don't want this to be like doom and gloom. Like we're fucked. No, you, we're you're horrible. Right. You know I, what I mean? I mean you compare us to say Arsenal. I think you feel a lot better about sort of the performances Spurs are putting out on the pitch. And I think we talked about this against Man United, and I certainly felt this way. But certainly, while you know our sort of first team, for lack of a better word, was on the pitch, it felt 
like, you know, when Spurs were playing well, it felt like it was the product of a coherent tactical plan as opposed to just, you know, what we would get sometimes during Project Restart and other performances under Jose where it's just like, okay, Sun just, like, fucking has a day. And I know Kane sort of had a great day at the office, but, like, it didn't just feel like some guys took the game over. Uh, it, it, it felt like, you know, we had a coherent plan and we went out and we executed it when we were executing it. And I think that's something that is worth being encouraged about. And Brian, I think this is some. If you want to talk about things to be encouraged about, which you know, um, I don't think we've talked about yet. But I think we're getting to the point where I don't think we have to wait to see is Kane back. I think it's. I mean, maybe an injury is going to derail it, but I think until that happens, like I mean, this is about as good a form as I've ever seen Harry Kane in, and I think that's fucking saying something. So I mean, there's a lot to feel really good about this team. Yeah, I mean, I, I. I... I don't want to be doom and gloom, and I don't want to act like this is like an indictment don't of, you? of the squad. I was going to say, isn't that your whole brand? <laughs> it's not. It's it's not. No, I mean, look, I think, I think the first 11 of this team is increasingly looking like a very cohesive side that is set out in a way that plays in a certain tactical system that is incredibly effective. Um, you know, I think my concern is not so much that, like, oh, this means we're bad. Like, I think I think the takeaway from this game largely is very positive. And my concern, I guess, is that as much as we've talked about, like, wow, this is, like, the deepest Spurs squad we've ever seen. And thank God... Like, this is, this is what it takes to win a title. You know, there are still some pieces that are just not quite there. And there are some pieces that are irreplaceable. And, like, taking off Ndombele when we have Lo Celso to bring on would be a non-issue. Or Lamella, you know? even. I know that's not the same thing, but... Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, somebody who just, like, gives you something else that's not what Harry Winks is. Um... But I think as much of a problem as uh, taking off Ndombele was, it was also we shifted Hoybjerg forward and we played Winks and Suzuko behind him. And, like, Hoybjerg has been just outstanding so far this season as the deepest midfielder, cleaning things up, moving the ball along, whatever. And, you know, that tactical shift, which seems needless. I mean, again, you look at Suzuko and Winks and Hoybjerg and you're like, well... If one of those three should play forward, I guess it Hoybjerg is better at that. But that's not the question you should be asking. It's who's better at playing deepest. That's the question you should have been asking. And, like, that's where we kind of fucked up. So, you know, I think, again, that first 11 is going to go out there and, like, whip the shit out of a lot of teams. Like, we look really good. Kane and Son are in unbelievable form. They look ridiculous. It doesn't seem like, I mean, like, yes, they're on, like, hot finishing streaks and whatever, but, like, they're playing very well, and they're very good players. And as long as we can get the ball to them in areas that maximize their skill sets, we're going to be just fine. You know, the issue is, like, we have a, a tough week. Like, we play Lask. I don't, I don't know who, who that is, but Lask in Austria in the Europa League on Thursday, you know, like, a year ago, I, I would have been complaining to see all of these guys go 90 minutes with a game on Thursday and screaming about, like, failure to rotate. We were up 3-0. Like, 
rest these motherfuckers. Like, what everyone, are you doing? Everyone wants to rotate till it's time to actually rotate. Right, exactly. And then you rotate, and then it goes fucking to shit. So, like, you know, on the one hand, I'm like, I'm intensely sympathetic about the substitutions that were made because Los Celso's hurt, and Don Blade's going to need to play a lot of minutes. You know, his fitness has been questionable. Um, you got to preserve him where you can. But it benefits in the ass. And, like, you know, on the one hand, I, I do blame Jose for not managing the course of that game very well. But I also understand that Jose was not just managing that one game. He was managing a week's worth of games. And I think you have to be sympathetic to that because, you know, you can't run these guys into the ground. Yep. Not and, in October. And, and all so, three of the players who I think would have been ideal to see that game out in some form or fashion, Dyer, Lamella, and... Celso were all out injured, and that you know that it's like a weird. If any of them is fit, even if we were saving them for Thursday, it's like okay, fucking put Lamella on, put Celso on. They'll just you know run this for the next fifteen minutes. Right. So like predictively, like the way this game ended up and the way this game was managed, I am completely not concerned by. Like I don't think that is like indicative of like Jose the manager doesn't know what he's doing. I don't think it's a failure that like this team sucks shit. And, like, our squad is, is not good enough. But taking this game on its own, you should close out a 3-0 lead. You're, you're you right. And, and, like, and It's more to square those two circles because it's like there's a lot going on here with the team. Like, we have a lot of fixtures. We have a lot of minutes that we have to manage for a lot of guys. And, you know... Even our worst players should see how to 3 0 Yeah, I think that's where I was when we were talking about this after the game on Sunday, which is like, maybe not the ideal substitutions, maybe not setting us up for success. Also, that shouldn't matter. These guys should be able to hold West Ham off for 15 minutes, especially when, like, my guess is West Ham's confidence wasn't super high before they scored that first goal because, you know, they hadn't been able to get into the game, really, um, on the score, at least on the score sheet. So it's it's this, like... I don't know. Maybe it is a stolen mentality issue. Maybe there's an issue of, you know, there's a lot of new parts in this team and it's a mix of the managers still figuring out how some of them work and some of the players are still figuring out how this new system works. I don't know. It would be nice to get all those three points, but it's really encouraging that we are actually, I think like Brian said, like we are not, we are not stifling Son. We are, you know, we have got Kane to the best form he's had in about three years, which is, again, saying something. You know, we, like Hoybjerg is definitely stepped his game up a level, I think. I think it's very safe to say that he is playing better this year than he did at Southampton. And I think you got to give Mourinho credit for that in at least some way. And it's just... I think part of it is... I know we all got carried away. I was making jokes on Twitter about our title challenge about a few minutes in because all, all of these... And again, we'll talk about this later. All of our sort of rivals in the top of the table are having very bad weeks as well. Our, some of them worse than ours. And... You know, you just can't help but think, well, we already dropped two stupid points against Newcastle. Like, what about these two stupid points? What if we lose a title by four points this year? And it's just, it's frustrating to watch this shit slip out of your hands, even when you watch it and you know, this is largely fluky. It doesn't say much about the quality of this team and what they're going to be capable of doing this year. It just feels like a missed opportunity. And also, it had to fucking happen against West Ham, who you just really, really want to see us beat. I mean, yeah, it, it does feel like a missed opportunity, but we did get the opportunity to see Gareth Bale in a Spurs shirt again, yeah. and wasn't that fun? 
So he, he I, got. Uh, no, I don't so, know. You weren't. You were okay. Bale looked like a guy who had some rust to knock off, and honestly, I think he could do with about forty-five minutes against Lask tomorrow. But I don't know about you guys, but any concerns? Not not every concern, but I certainly was feeling a lot better about Gareth Bale after watching him turn that West Ham player inside out. I mean, that was some fancy footwork. Look, I. I I am very excited about Gareth Bale in this team because I think that right attacking midfield position is kind of a problem. Um, Bergvine hasn't really looked good since coming back from injury. He didn't look great in Project Restart. He hasn't looked great. Shut up, Greg. You said it earlier. Um, (laughs) He he, he hasn't looked great this season, really. He really kind of struggled to work his way into the match in in this specific game. He had a few Um, nice moments, but he was not, even when we were sort of at full flow, he was not asserting himself as a part of And I don't know if that's a product of the way we're playing with the quick counterattacks. Because what he really does is like dribble ball progression. And he's he's not so much of a passer or a finisher. But he is, you know, is getting the ball in transition and moving it forward on the dribble, um, and so so I don't know if the way we're playing isn't isn't playing into his particular style or if it's just I don't know, just not fitting in. Um, and and we obviously know the the limitations and the benefits of of playing Lucas in that spot. So so getting to see Bale and he was only on with Hungman's son for. A few minutes, like I don't know, probably what, like seven, eight minutes, and and but, but it, it's exciting. Like like Gareth Bale got on the end of one chance, and like wouldn't it have been perfect if he scored that? Yeah, but he got mugged, and so he didn't. Um, and then uh, I, I, I just there is a lot to be excited about this team with, and mm-hmm. and, and Gareth Bale is one of them, and I you know. I know that a lot of people are, are were kind of eh on that transfer. Like, you were either super excited because Bale's back at Spurs, or you're like, is this really the signing that we needed? Like, couldn't we have done something else with the wages or whatever? Like, I don't know. I'm very excited about this, and, and I'm ready for him to play and score, like, a 1,000 goals. And, uh, it, and just seeing him on the pitch against West Ham, and like you said, turning the West Ham defender inside out, even though he didn't have, like, the burst – that you would have liked, like the just the dribbling and the ability to like get in and get a shot off was was exciting. I mean, in a weird way, I find it encouraging that for like I said, a player who I thought looked a little rusty, which is understandable considering you know what his last few years have been like and the fact that he's coming off an injury. The fact that he still was able to produce that bit of skill and probably with an extra second and you know maybe that's a problem in of itself, but you know puts that game away right there. Uh, you know, I think it was encouraging to see, and it was fun to see. And you know, you, you certainly you have enough. Of, I think we can see enough of him there that you, it's really sort of exciting to think about him, Bale, and Son, or Bale, Son, and Kane all in the front line together. Um, you know, firing and start playing ninety minutes, and it's just oh, I don't know. It, it's 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 really nice to have Garrett Bale back at Spurs. Yeah, I mean, like Burkwine is is a weird case right now because he's clearly talented he does a lot of things obviously well but you look at the way like Sun and are playing together and it's almost telepathic like they're both providing for each other you know they're getting on the ends of each other's 
chances in a way that is is incredibly harmonious and like that's what you want like an attack to be is like all the players understand like where each other wants to get receive the ball you know what balls to play instinctively because you know the other guy is making a run in that direction and, and to get onto it and Bergvine just does not seem part of that at all like he's a guy who he's not just a dribbler like he's a creator he's a scorer you know he's kind of like a decent option at all three and yet we don't see him creating anything for anybody else we don't see him running onto chances created by either of the other two and you know but that's a huge handicap you know playing with two-thirds of a front line and the fact that Bale was able to get out of that chance encourages me a little bit you know even though he missed it the fact that like you know he made the right run and the ball came to his feet in the right place like already like that is more than we got from Bergvine in 80 minutes and so you know I'm incredibly hopeful like yes Bale looked rusty he looked a little slow maybe he isn't as fit as he should be maybe maybe the super fit strong Bale shrugs off that challenge and buries that chance but you know the fact that he did as much as he did in his first game back I think is a lot to be excited about because you know just a few more weeks of training and a few more weeks of of practicing with Sun and Kane and getting on the level with how they want to play and how they want to attack and, and where balls need to go you know, you do get a, a sense, I think, immediately from this game that he is going to be capable of, of getting on that same wavelength. And we might have a, a true front three of three really dangerous players and not Kane's son and who else is going to make up the numbers and, like, do the best they can. Yeah, Lamella L- mugging guys over in a corner. like. <laughs> Right, which is great. Yeah. We all love to see Yeah, it. but could you do that from a little further back is all I'm saying. Right. right, like he's not a viable, like you don't trust that like Eric Lamella is going to score a couple of goals a game. You know, he's just there. No, he will be He will be him. literally cutting defenses in half, not metaphorically cutting defenses in half. So uh, let's, let's spare a moment to talk about our best player. I think who's just... I talked about him a little bit earlier, but Harry Kane looks really fucking good right now. And I thought we were going to talk about Sergio. Sergio. We'll talk about Sergio in a minute, but I think we need to talk about Kane because I think we spent a lot of time gnashing our teeth about his form, talking about if we should have sold him when we had the chance, and he's looking like one of the best strikers in the world again, and I think there's enough of a sample size to not just assume he's doing this against crappy, just against crappy teams. it's really quite a pleasure to watch. And it was kind of, I don't know, it it may be sort of nostalgic thinking of like seeing him on the pitch with Bale and just thinking about how rare a talent that was at Spurs, like, you know, however many years ago. And now we've got, you know, just like three amazing attackers in our front line in a way that I'm not sure we've ever had. And it's an incredible collapsation of like the space-time continuum to see (laughs) Bale and Kane together on the pitch. Just get Berbatov uh, to play behind them, and it'll be... <laughs> yeah, you know, get Berbatov, get Klinsman, like, bring Gascoigne back, like, get, get all, the whole band back together. But, yeah, I mean, like, 
you know, the things Kane is doing is not things that you're like, oh, he's capitalizing on shitty teams. Like, he is just everything everywhere in just the, the best way. He's getting on chances, he's creating chances, he's running. I mean, honestly, he's running. That's like the most exciting thing I can think of for Harry Kane is just to see him sprint like 30 yards and... You know, because we, we missed that for like a couple of years. <laughs> but this is this is what I think is interesting about Kane now, which I think is different from when he was great a couple of years ago, which is now he's playing in tandem and hopefully in a trio with Bale in a few weeks, but he's playing in tandem with another truly great attacker, which, you know, I mean, Erickson, I guess you could maybe say that about. I think Erickson was more of a midfielder in a support role, but... You know, I don't think Kane had that. Like in a lot of ways, he was doing it all himself, or at least doing it with a lesser supporting cast, at least up front, when he was great a couple of years ago. Now, I mean, just him and Son are firing on all cylinders, and they're both just these amazing players. And watching them sort of work in tandem, I think is just you know we're seeing it bring out different aspects of Kane's game. He's never had this many assists. Um, he so look, he's he's the leading assister or whatever the word is. <laughs> In, in the league, he's got more assi- He's got the same amount of assists as second and third combined, like, and and he's the fourth leading goal scorer. And I think the stat that uh, that NBC here in America said was that no player has ever been involved, you know, goals or assists in in this many total goals as Harry Kane through like the first five games of the season. Like the before him, the number was you know like ten or whatever, or, or eleven, and he's been involved in twelve goals as either the scorer or the assister through the first five games of the season. And you know, like you said, like the running is very encouraging. Like I, I would just be happy with that, and then we were getting chances, you know, at the end of the running. But we're 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 not getting that. We're getting running and also goals. And you know the the first goal he scores against West Ham is like a very Harry Kane goal. Like he cuts it back onto his foot, and then you know a beautiful low shot. And like I, you know, I, it's very very encouraging to see him getting shots at a rate that we hadn't really seen in the last I don't know season and a half. Because that had been the big criticism from you know some of the the, the 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 analytics side of this is that he's not getting shots at the same rate you know regardless of what his conversion rates were he's not getting in the box he's not getting on the end of opportunities like he used to and I don't know these first five matches I, I he's he's both creating and getting on the end of stuff but we're talking about that growth in his game I think we also need to talk about the real change that Mourinho has brought about in him which is he is apparently telling, telling Gareth Southgate that he doesn't need to play every minute with England, which I, I think if clearly one of Mourinho's greatest accomplishments as a manager is getting Harry Kane to not play every international minute possible. Now, of course, he'll probably play Kane against Lask tomorrow instead of you know the striker we bought over the summer, but I don't know. Harry Kane's been a lot of fun to watch this year. I hope it stays, stays this way. And, I mean, despite only having the five goals, he's got the the joint most shots in the league. Like, he's got 25 shots. Like, you know, and, and you know, five goals from 25 shots, maybe not, like, super great or anything, but, like, that's what you want from your your striker, the guy that leads the line. You want him to have, you know, five, four or five shots a game, and you want them to be, like, good position shots. Like, like that's how he scores goals. Like, I, I, 
you know, Hungman Son has seven goals on 12 shots. That's not necessarily sustainable. He's not going to do that the rest of the season. But, like, Harry Kane getting, you know, four or five shots a game is absolutely sustainable. And I think, like, the biggest part of all of this is that because he's become such a double threat, both on the ball passing and on the ball shooting, is it makes it so much harder to defend both him and Son. You know, um, before when Harry Kane was, like, doing his thing where he drops deep and, like, tries to be a creator unsuccessfully, you know, the defenders could largely ignore him. He could run back to halfway line unmarked and, like, no one cared. But now you have to pay attention to him when he has the ball because wherever he is on the pitch, he is going to do something dangerous, whether that is, you know, pinging a ball 30 yards to the opposite corner, playing a through ball of the sun right behind the defense, or taking a touch and ripping one from 20 yards out. Or like, sliding a is, tackle he, to save a goal in his own box. <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever. But, like, he is, he is unignorable. And that just creates so much space for everybody else around him because now defenders have to pay attention to him in a way that they maybe didn't before and you know son is able to make those kind of diagonal runs into a box that is no longer occupied by two center backs because one of those center backs has to pay attention to whatever the fuck harry kane's about to do and you know it it, it just makes everybody more dangerous because harry kane is looking more complete than ever. And now imagine it with Sun and Bale making those runs in behind. Yeah. Right. How do you defend all three of those guys? Like, that is... That, I mean... I think think Jordan Pickford's got a few ideas, but... Hopefully. But I mean, like, you know, you look at Liverpool and, like, you know, they play a team where, like, Firmino plays, like, that deeper Harry Kane role where like he works hard and he makes passes, but he's not an option in the box. It is mostly relying on Salah and Mane to like do the finishing. You know, Firmino has not scored a bunch of goals in a really long time. And and then walked away with the league last year. Imagine that with a striker who is as dynamic as Harry Kane is looking. And you know, this is a very scary attack. If 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 Bale can be even like 80% of what Sun is right now, suddenly you're looking at an undeniably the best attack in the league. And if that's the case, like we, we can absorb, you know, Harry Winks fucking some shit up in midfield. We can absorb Davison Sanchez heading the ball into his own net. Lucy you know. Soko playing it all. <laughs> right. You know, so I think there's so much to be excited about with this team right now. So let's uh, talk about so many players going forward look unbelievable. Let's talk about that excitement because I know I was, as I said earlier, I was making all sorts of jokes about title contention early in that game, and I wasn't the only one. Do you guys? Because I think I want to talk a little bit about what has happened at the top of the table. But do you think a title challenge for Spurs is realistic? No. Absolutely. <laughs> So it's weird, like, I'm always the optimist. But I I don't know. I just think, like, on balance, I don't think that we have the same strength and and depth as some of the other top teams. 
And I know that City are struggling right now, and they didn't really improve in the offseason. And I know that Liverpool are not running away with the league, and they lost, you know, Van Dyke, and Allison's been out, and they may have some issues. I just think that over the course of the entire season, Liverpool's quality, uh, especially when you talk about, we just talked about, you know, Firmino and Salah and Mane. Like, I think those guys are still good enough and what they have in defense and midfield is still good enough for them to be title favorites or, 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 or at the very least around the top of the table. I, I, I'm not buying into like Everton winning the league or anything like that, but I do think that the big teams, you know, Chelsea, City, Liverpool are still probably ahead of us. Well, even if the gap is not as big as last year. I think I think any your opinion on Spurs title chances really boils down to regardless of sort of what you think of Spurs, I mean, obviously it plays a role in it, but it, it really boils down to how bad you think City and Liverpool are sort of hitting the skids right now. And if this is just Oh, this is, they're having an ugly month or two? Or, oh, this is going to be a problem for them all season. And I certainly take Liverpool's problems a lot more seriously without Van Dyke than I did before. You know, he probably... I don't, think, I don't know if he's going to be out for the whole season, but he's certainly going to be out for most of it. I mean, I think you really have to consider a title possibility. We're five games into the season, and Man City and Liverpool both look intensely vulnerable. You know, like Aston Villa and Everton do not top a table in a season where there is a clear favorite for a title at any point. Certainly not five games into the season. Um, And, you you know, you look at at Man City and, you know, they've tried to address their back line. They've signed Nathan Ake. They've signed Ruben Diaz. They've made some token gestures towards fixing that. But, you know, they still haven't really replaced David Silva. Um, Liverpool are, like Brian said, they're without Van Dyke, and in the short term, at least, they're without Allison. And, like, the difference between Liverpool being a joke that we all laugh at, who thinks they deserve a title and don't, and actually winning a title, was their incredible defense last season. Like, as good as their attack is, which is very good, you know, without Van Dyke, I don't know that a defense that consists of, you know, Joe Gomez and Joel Matip or Fabinho at center back is a title winning defense. You know, that is a team that is just by virtue of injury, a shell of itself. And even when they were fit, they were not running away with the league at this, at this stage. So, I think it's an open question how good these teams are, you know? Especially in a COVID year. I think it's worth pointing that out. I think City and Liverpool, I think these are teams that rely on a lot of fitness and sort of precise play, and I think a shortened offseason is going to really impact these teams. I mean, it's going to impact everyone, but I think it's really going to impact these teams that rely on playing the way they do. Right, and I don't think that means, like, oh, well, Spurs are a shoo-in for the title. But what I do think it means is the last two seasons, City and Liverpool were, like, so streets ahead of everybody else in the league that 
the title question was just a question of which one of them are going to do it. And I think five games into the season, you can say that is not a foregone conclusion anymore. You can't say it is a given that one of those teams is going to figure it out and is going to win the league. Because in five games, they haven't already. So what's to say? I mean, it might be us. It might be, I mean, Chelsea just signed an insanely good attack from all over Europe. You know, maybe Frank puts it together and Timo Werner and Kai Havertz, like, score 40 goals apiece. Like, who the fuck knows? You know? But I think we're... the At this stage of the season, it very much looks like the season Leicester won more than it looks like last season. It looks like a lot of good teams are struggling to put things together. Again, like, Man U ended Project Restart in unbelievable fashion. They looked like, like, had they played that way all season, they would have been in the title conversation. And right now, they look kind of like dog shit. And, you know... Don't don't think we can rule out referees giving United enough penalties to win the title, though. I mean, it didn't stop them from losing 6-1 to us. So, <laughs> you know, if again, we're at a stage in the season where Aston Villa looks like the best team in the league. In that, in that universe, I think anything is possible. And I so think... I'm going to believe that we're just as likely to win a title as anybody else. I think I would feel more strongly about us as a title contender if one of the West Ham result or the Newcastle result goes our way. You know what I mean? Like, I still feel like there is some level of fragility in this team. And I, and I don't think it's like the Jose Mourinho, you guys need to be assholes with smart asshole. Like, you know, I don't, it's not that. I just think that we don't have a strong defense. And we're persisting with Davinson Sanchez as being, like, the consistent part of this defense and, like, rotating Dyer with Aldevereld. And, and, and I'm not I'm not sold on that. And, and, you know, we're looking at a midfield right now that includes Musa Sissoko. And I'm not sold on that. Like, I, I feel like some of our weaknesses are more glaring than the other big teams. And... And, and, you know, despite having made more signings to acquire more depth, I I still am concerned that we are a Harry Kane or Gareth Bale or, or a Hoybjerg injury away from being screwed. You know, I, so, so like... I think you're 100% correct. Like, everything you just said is all the way right. That's the nicest but, thing you've ever said to me. But... Leicester won the league with Robert Huth and Wes Morgan at center back and Danny Drinkwater in midfield, you know? So, like, it's not necessarily fatal, especially, like, again, like, they played a very counterattacking style where where Riyad Mahrez and Jamie Vardy did, like, 80% of the work on that team. Um, we have problems. We absolutely have problems. But everybody but does. But I think, I think everybody does. And I think, you know... You look at Man City and Liverpool, and they've been so good for so long, it's very hard to imagine why wouldn't they be good this season. But I think you look at Spurs last season, 
And you would have asked the exact same question and said, like, nobody would have expected, you know, five years into Pochettino's reign, everything would have fallen apart. You know, what happens at the end of a cycle when you haven't refreshed a team super good is is Spurs. Like, you've, you've seen that. We saw that all, we all saw that firsthand. We saw it kind of fall apart. It was all of the pieces were exactly the same for the most part, and yet, for whatever reason, it stopped working. And then once it stopped working, it really stopped working. And so, you know, you look at Liverpool that has depended so much on Virgil van Dijk being, like, an immaculate defender, holding that entire system together. I don't think you can say that team without van Dijk is the same the same kind of like swashbuckling domineering side that they were you know like they get punched in the mouth a few times and who knows like they may react very badly they may fall apart like again it's it's not a given that those teams are going to be bad but i think there's a real possibility that they might be and i think i choose to just dream in that possibility that the league well, looks wide open. And I think that's where I'm at with them. It's like, if you accept that these are teams with serious flaws, the City and Liverpool have many more flaws or problems this year than they've had in the past. If you accept that they are within reach of some other team to get you know, the league, I, I feel like Chelsea are nominally better than us. Like They probably have better first 11, but like... I don't know. I don't trust Lampard as a manager. I feel like he makes a lot of weird personnel decisions. You know, he's going to be, you know, I think he got found out a little bit at the end of last year, and he's going to be juggling just as many. This isn't like Everton. You don't have competitions to juggle like we do. Um, you know, it's, it's. I, I don't trust Lampard um, to necessarily beat us. I don't trust, you know, Everton's depth. I think that is a team, um, maybe I'm being a little Pollyannish and just assuming they're the same old Everton, but... As good as they've been, I, I think that's a team that's going to sort of come back to earth a little bit. Same with Aston Villa. Now, you could say the same about us, but, you know, I think we got just as good a shot, if not better, than all those teams I talked about. If someone is capable of reeling in City and Liverpool, you know, I, I don't think anybody's got an appreciably better shot than us. Maybe Chelsea, but other than Chelsea, no one does. I mean, I think if you look at our team and you get a season where Bale is good, and we get to play Lo Celso and Don Blay and Hoyberg in midfield all the time. Nobody in the league has a better front six than we do. Nobody. And we have really good fullbacks, and we have a good goalkeeper. You know, our big weakness right now is that we have shitty center backs. But you look at Liverpool, they have shitty center backs. You look at Man City, they've had shitty center backs for years, and they've gotten away with it. Um, you know, all of these teams are are are. are kind of fragile like Chelsea doesn't have like they depend a lot on N'Golo Conte being N'Golo Conte of two years ago and he's not you know they're going to play Mason Mount Jorginho Kovacic like none of those guys are particularly good their back line of, of, of Zuma Christensen a 36 year old Thiago Silva like it's not great you know so you know the best defensive team in the league just lost their best defensive player and their goalkeeper is hurt. I think if we can get, you know, it's a big if. Like, it's a big question of whether Jose is going to even play Lo Celso and Adam Blade together because so far that hasn't been the case. 
But if that all happens, and if it works out the way we all imagine it will, and if Bale becomes, you know, eighty percent of the Bale we all know he used to be, like we have a eight of eleven guys who are as good, if not better, than anybody else in the league. I don't, I don't know that we're going to win, but I don't think it's. Yeah, I, I do agree with Brian. Though I feel somebody I f- else's. I'd feel a whole lot better about it if we hadn't dropped four really stupid points already this year. Well, look, if it was just one of those games, if one of those games didn't happen, if we close out this match with a three-one or a three-two win, or the Newcastle result doesn't happen, like you know, first of all, we're in a better league position, you know, but but it doesn't feel like the season kind of feels. Eh. Like we've had really good performances, but then sometimes those performances have had bad results, and then sometimes we've had kind of lackluster performances, like against Everton. And so, you know, I I think I need to see us put it together. And and we talked on the last show that like you know this run of games that we've got right now, where we've got West Ham, Burnley, Brighton, somebody else that's bad, and then Manchester City, like. Like this run here, yep, time to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like when we need to put together. Like we need, you know, nine points from the next three league matches, and then we need to go into the Manchester City match and show that we're better than Manchester City. And so, if that's what happens, then yeah, then I'll feel a lot better about you know us as a title contender, us as a top four contender, whatever. Um, but right now we've been kind of hot and cold. So so I need to see, you know, forward momentum. And and I think that's kind of the thing that we have lacked for the last, I don't know, two years, where we just couldn't ever really put together a long run of form. And so this is the time to do it. And especially when, you know, like Ben just talked about, like you've got the teams around us that are in this weakened state. So, you know, win some games, put together a run of, you know, four or five, you know, unbeaten matches in a row and, and, and show that we are the team to beat going forward rather than like an Everton or an Aston Villa. What do you guys feel like? Go ahead, Ben. I would just say, yes, I would feel much better. Had we, had we beaten West Ham and Newcastle, we would be sitting comfortably in second place. Um, and we're not. But you, you look at West Ham, and I looked at their schedule, and I was like, oh, David Moyes is going to get sacked by, like, the end of October because they're going to play Wolves, Leicester, Spurs, Man City, Liverpool. That's going to be five straight losses. That's the end of David Moyes. West Ham's a joke. And they demolished Wolves, they beat Leicester, and they drew Spurs. And, like, I don't think it, it is beyond us. Again, the hardest game on paper that we've played so far has been Man United, and it's been our best win of the season. So the fact that we haven't taken points from games that we maybe should have, I don't think is fatal. I think I agree I would feel much better about everything had we not. But again, so many other teams are also not picking up points. Like, again, Chelsea just drew to Southampton this weekend 3-3. You know, they blew a a 3-3 against West Brom a couple weeks ago. Lots of teams are doing this. And so the question isn't who's capitalizing now. To me, the question is, is who is going to capitalize going forward? 
And it might be us. It might not be us. I mean, we might blow a lot of games, and it might be very miserable. But if we can put it together, I think it's there for the take. So last thing about the title race before we wrap it up. How are you guys feeling about Everton? I mean, they have no realistic shot at it. <laughs> because... Boy, I hope I hope we don't regret you saying that. I mean, I'll knock on wood, whatever. Um, but it's just like, what depth does Everton have beyond? Their what depth does Leicester have? What depth does Leicester have? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I the, the Leicester season is such a is such bullshit because it gives people like Ben like the obvious counter argument to any co- coherent point you might make. You're right. In a normal season where there's an obvious good team, if it was like Man City and Everton jockeying at the top of the table, I would say, well, obviously Everton is going to be the team to fall off because they have no depth. When it's Everton and Aston Villa jockeying at the top of the table, I'm going to say, you know what, maybe everybody else sucks shit and it might not matter that Everton don't have depth. I mean, you know, you look at Liverpool last season, they got incredibly lucky with injuries. They, besides... Allison for like a couple games at the beginning of the season they played their first 11 pretty much the whole season and that might happen you know like another team could get lucky with those injuries and that team might be good I don't think Everton's going to win the league but I don't I think odds are their depth is a problem and that is a, a strike against them but I don't think it's fatal I don't know. I mean, like, look, like, what is a what is a Dominic Calvert Lewin injury do to them? What is a injury to Allen do to them? What you know, you know, what what about Hamas? Like, Hamas hasn't necessarily been you know consistently what, healthy. What happens like, if Liverpool fans get uh, Pickford arrested and instantly improve their goalkeeping situation? Yeah, I was gonna say honestly, if Pick if Pickford gets you know uh, taken out of the team, they're probably honestly better. But you know, like, I I think you know, yes, look. Leicester, when they won the title, were like an injury or two away from the entire year from not winning the title. Like if Conte gets hurt, if Vardy gets hurt, if Mars get hurt, that doesn't happen. And so they got incredibly fortunate, you know. But I, I don't, I don't know that that happens on a consistent basis. And so to, for me to look at Everton, who have a good first eleven. I don't want to take away from you know that midfield that they built or from the improvement that Calvert Lewin has made as a player, um, you know, from Richarlison. Uh, you know, I don't want to take anything away from those guys. But like beyond that first eleven, they're not that good. And even the their their first eleven defense is not great. Like, do you want any of their central defenders? Like, do you think Yerry Mina is is that good of a player? I mean, I'd take Keane over any of our center backs, but Toby. But you're right. I mean, absolutely you're right. Yeah, and I mean, like, Luke, Lucas Digne is good. Um, Seamus Coleman is about 500 years old, weirdly. Um, and I think they're in a more precarious injury situation than any of these other teams because if something, something happens to Hamas, like, boy, they are super fucked. And, and look, Ancelotti's a good coach. And, and like, I feel, I think that goes a long way. Like, you know, the Everton that was under David Moyes that was close to being a top four team. Like, like Moyes, for whatever he is as a manager, he is not Carlo Ancelotti. And so, and so like, if you're going to talk about, like, managerial experience being a factor, like, Everton do have the Ancelotti factor and, and that, that is you know, going to help them potentially. 
but I don't know how much Ancelotti can do with, you know, if he has to run a midfield out there that actually includes Gilfie Sigurdsson and Tom Davis or Davies, whatever his fucking name is. Um, you know, I, I just don't have any faith that they can keep this up. Yeah, I don't think Everton's going to win the league by any means. But I think, again, if the league is in the state of play that I kind of presupposed earlier in this podcast, then an Everton that stays fit all season is just as much in the race as we are. Um, but, I mean, you know, injuries happen, and so much of what that title race looks like depends on who stays fit, who gets hurt, and, you know, what the random luck gods decide to do in a given week. Um, you know, Everton is probably not going to win the league, but if everybody on Everton stays fit all season and they play like this all season, like, yeah, they might. Especially think, this is a, this, this know, is a you're, COVID you're year. Running odds, low, but there's this is a COVID year. Happens. Shit's going to be weird too, so we'll see. Yeah, and I mean, look, I think I think if you if Spurs had started the season the way Everton did, you would look at it and you would go, well, but look at Spurs. They haven't had Lacelso fit for all these matches. They've brought in a backup striker. Gareth Bale hasn't really played a part in any. So. But I, I don't feel like you have that for Everton. For Spurs, you're still looking at stuff, and you've got, oh, you've got guys that are going to come back into the team. You've got guys that might get fit soon. Everton doesn't have that. Like, so, so, so for if you were gonna if you were gonna ask me today to to tell you which team had a better shot at winning the league, whether it was Spurs or Everton, I'd say Spurs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Everton are playing their like one percent best universe of football right now and for everyone to win the league that has to continue for another 33 games that seems unlikely good thing we've never watched that happen to our detriment before right I mean you're right (laughs) (laughs) but I mean like there's a lot of teams that like again they're not playing their 1% best football and once they get there they're a lot likely to stay there than Everton and it could be us, it could be Chelsea, it could be Liverpool, it could be Man City, who the fuck knows. But t- today, as we record this podcast, I am going to continue to dream on a Spurs title because the things we do well, we do really, really well. I just want to see us win a title so I can... I just want to see us win a title so I can talk to Ben about his opinions of Jose Mourinho, the man who finally brought a title back to Tottenham Hotspur. I mean, it's funny because, like, I've wait- I waited, like, a decade for Jose Mourinho to bring an international championship to Portugal. And then we did it without him. So I'm already primed to accept, like, happiness over Jose Mourinho winning me a championship in some form or other. Uh, I just did not think it would come at club level. <laughs> I just think the thing we have to prepare ourselves for, and I think this is totally rightly so, if Mourinho does achieve something like that at Spurs, like, like that man is entitled to talk whatever level of shit he is capable of, because that might be up there with winning a title with Porto. I mean, it's... Or winning the Europe, the European Cup with Porto. It's it, it would be fucking wild if the guy who finally brings the title back to Spurs is Jose Mourinho, which 
we're really putting the cart ahead of the horse talking about that, but we're gonna win the league. Like I don't know why you're so cynical, Greg. But <laughs> you know what, Ben? You're right. I've been too. I've been too beaten down by these other people I talk to. I really should listen to the guys on my podcast, like you. Three weeks from now, when we've lost to yeah. Burnley, Brighton, and whoever else, um, this episode will. Hey, we'll, we're we'll playing, have to delete it, right? We're, we're going to delete. This we're episode. playing an Austrian team uh, next week or uh, tomorrow, so it's you know there's ripe for ripe for Schadenfreude, uh, but. Yeah, I mean, well, Alec, I said I'm very flinchy about Jose. Any bad result is going to skew me the other direction. <laughs> if we lose to Burnley on Monday, I'm going to call for him to be sacked immediately. So I'm just going to prepare you all. I'm just glad you're giving him, you're giving him you're giving him a little bit of rope with Lask. You know, I'm just I'm just glad you're not going to judge him on that result. I mean, look, all I care about with this is seeing if Carlos Vinicius is actually worth a shit. I'm not sure you're going to find that out one way or another tomorrow. I mean, look, he's going to come on in the 85th minute, and I'm going to make a really important snap judgment based on that five-minute cameo because Harry Kane is obviously starting. I fucking hope not. Uh, Okay, well, on that pleasant note, I think it's time to wrap this bad boy up. Ben, where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can find me on Twitter at ComradeUspurs. Brian, where can people find you on the tubes? You can also find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. And you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. Don't forget to check us out on LinkedIn at Brett Rainbow. And, of course, uh, follow us on Twitter at Wheeler Dealer Radio. That's WDR Podcast. And uh, for Ben, for Brian, and, of course, for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>